People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, and you shall not you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay, let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll look at Mark chapter 10. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you for Jesus who we meet and we encounter in your word. Mark has written down these true events for us to read and think about and understand, to learn about your kingdom, how we might enter into it and how we might receive the blessing of life in your kingdom. Lord, please, please would you show us that, would you reveal it to us and even give it to us today, we pray. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do today is I want to give you some investment advice. Now apparently that's like, I'm not allowed to do that actually, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I'm going to give you some investment advice. Uh, Think about what you have got. Think about your money and your home and your possessions and your skills and your time and the relationships you have around you and your career and anything else that you possess. How can you invest that well? How can you use those things in life well? Well, this is my investment advice to you. The most secure, the best thing you can do with all of that 
is to give it all up. Give it all up. Hold it loosely so that, hold that stuff, whatever you've got, whatever it might be that counts for you, loosely, so that nothing, absolutely nothing will stop you from taking hold of God's kingdom. Taking hold of God himself. And in so taking hold of, and so entering the kingdom of God, you receive the inheritance of eternal life. That's really, I've told you straight out what we're going to see today, what I want to say today. That's how to invest well. Let go of, hold loosely, so you can take hold of the kingdom of God. Uh, and the surprise today in, in, in these uh, events that we read about in, in Mark chapter 10 is just who it is that enters the kingdom and receives the blessings of the kingdom and who it is that walks away from the king and the kingdom. And so we'll see what it means to receive the blessings of God's kingdom, but also how that then changes your life now and changes how you invest your life, how you spend your life. So here we are. The first thing I want us to see is, who is it that inherits the kingdom? And if, if, we, if we keep uh, page 1014 open in the Bibles, it would be really helpful, because on, on first look, it's obvious who is going to inherit the kingdom. It, it, it's those who have the right credentials. You know, inheriting a kingdom is a pretty big deal, isn't it? So you want the right sort of people to be getting that kind of inheritance. And we have there in verse 17 this, this, this uh, man, this rich young ruler. He's the sort of guy, you think of like um, The Apprentice, you know, Alan Sugar's kind of business program. He's the sort of guy who's going to win that program, okay? He's, he's successful, he's powerful, he's wealthy. He's a kind of go-getter sort of guy. But the really annoying thing about this guy here a lot of those, if you watch The Apprentice, a lot of them are like total idiots, quite frankly, aren't they? And you're like, but this guy is not. He's not, he's not a total jackass. He's not self-absorbed. Actually, this guy is also a good guy. He's decent. He's reasonable. He's, he's fair. He's honest. He does his business fairly. He's faithful. And so this guy has got absolutely everything going for him. He's respectable and he's successful. You just kind of think, oh, this is the kind of guy that God would be lucky to have on his team, isn't he? It's the kind of guy that God's going to want in his kingdom. The, the opposite that you've got here are, are these little children that we read about in verse 13. Very young children, probably infants. And kind of the opposite is true for them, because anyone who's been around a very young child for a while knows that they don't bring much to the party, really. I mean, today we do, we have a very romantic and sentimental view of children, and we watch like cute little YouTube videos of babies giggling and stuff, and we get all kind of, you know, all cooey and all the rest. But as soon as you're a parent, you kind of realise that that only goes so far, actually. And in Jesus' day, children got a much more mixed reception. It wasn't this kind of romantic, sentimental view of children. It's a bit more like the way that our society approaches unborn children today. Sometimes loved and cared for and protected. At other times, actually disposable and nuisance and even killed off. Infanticide was quite a common thing back in Jesus' day. And so for these disciples, asking this question of who's going to inherit the kingdom, well, it's a no-brainer here who Jesus is going to accept and who's going to reject. It's straightforward. So in, in verse 13, as the children are being brought to Jesus, the disciples are there protecting Jesus, rebuking, sending them away. Don't you understand? He's too important for you. 
And the opposite is they expect this rich man, as he comes up to Jesus, just to waltz right in to Jesus' good books. For the red carpet to be laid out. This is the kind of guy that Jesus wants to be around. And so when they hear Jesus later on in our passage say that it's impossible for the rich to be saved, they're just like, you know, their head's just blown because they're just like, no, wait, wait, Jesus, the rich are the most likely to be saved. If it's not possible for them, then who at all could be saved? We're all doomed. That's a fact. We read, we read here that two times these friends of Jesus are amazed by him and his upside-down kingdom, where the last are actually the first. You see, Jesus welcomes little children, but this rich young man who's got it all going for him, he walks away from Jesus. This is the upside-down kingdom. You know, Jesus' kingdom has never sat easy with money and with power, with prestige and with worldly authority. Got that saying, haven't we, that money makes the world go round. We kind of know what it means, because money is very important in our world. But listen, money does not grow the kingdom of God. Money does not get people into the kingdom of God. Actually, part, part of this reason is why that we started this church in this local community of inner city Birmingham. Because church is not all about going after the rich and the powerful and the cultural elites and the people who have the world at their feet because somehow by, by, by that the kingdom and the church will have prestige and influence and power in the world. No, our conviction, and it comes straight from Jesus, is that Jesus' kingdom is on offer to those who don't think it's for them. Jesus' kingdom is on offer to the poor and to the uneducated, to those who are unemployed, to those who are immersed in a life of crime. Jesus' kingdom is for the vulnerable and for the addicts and for the weak and for the ill. And we could go on for those in debt. Jesus' kingdom is exactly for the people who live in this community around us. See, it's surprising actually, isn't it? That Jesus delights to take those that society so looks down on, society so rejects. And he takes them, and the Bible says, He shames the wise and the strong and the powerful by what he does in and through and for those people. This is the upside-down kingdom. You might think it sounds like Jesus has kind of got this inverse snobbery where, like, he only, he kind of prefers those in a humble life position for for some strange reason or something. Well, I, I don't think actually that's what's going on. But what we need to see is it's about how dependent people are as they come to Jesus. Whether they come from a position of felt power or not. So we, we read in, in verse 15 that, um, that these little children who come to Jesus, Jesus says they are an example of how we are to receive the kingdom of God. And by that he means that little children come and they are, they are like helpless and they are dependent and they come empty-handed. They come with nothing, nothing they're bringing to contribute. But they kind of come, as, as, as you know children do, with these kind of wide eyes and expectant hearts, hoping to receive this blessing and, and, and this goodness. That's just the posture of a little child, isn't it? That's how they come to, to an adult or a parent. But you see, this rich man, he comes to do a deal with, 
with Jesus. He, he comes looking for some kind of business transaction or, or something like that. You see, when you've got money, you can do stuff yourself. So you expect your money to count for you being able to, to do stuff. So his question in verse 17 is this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I can do? You see, he doesn't come with empty hands. He comes with full hands. He's got his CV. He's got his two references. He's got his credentials and his qualifications. He thinks that he either is or he can be good enough for God. And so Jesus answers him and he quotes from the Ten Commandments. And as he does that, this, this man, he just he, he feels better and better and better. Don't murder, tick. No adultery, tick. No stealing, tick. No lying, tick. Not defrauding, probably about coveting, tick. Honour your parents, tick. He ticks all of the boxes on a legalistic understanding of God's Ten Commandments. He thinks, yeah, I can do this, and I'm entitled to this, and I can, I can take hold of this. Tick, 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 tick. But Jesus says to him, no one is good except God alone. Jesus is like, if you like, raising the bar of this man's expectation of what good is and how good good enough is. True goodness is only found in God. God defines good. It's not found in people. You think you're good enough for God? Really? You're good enough for God? You see, this guy does not get Jesus. And neither will you if you think Christianity is about what we bring to the party. About what credentials we have to offer. About how good we can be that either counts us in or out of God's kingdom. See, this is a big problem for the ultra-religious people. Who may think they're in the kingdom when quite possibly they are not. Because they think they're in because of the way they do things or, or what they bring. It's also a problem for the ultra non-religious people who reject that perversion of Christianity. They think it's not what Christianity is and, and quite frankly don't want it. And who could blame them? Ricky Gervais, um, I think I've got this on the side. Yeah, is, uh, I guess most of you know who he is. If not, then um, I don't know where, where you've been. But he's, he's an atheist and quite an outspoken critic of Christianity. Um, a very funny guy, uh, a comedian. Uh, and he wrote this really funny art- article in, in, uh, in 2013 at Easter. Uh, and it's called this, Why I'm a Good Christian. And in this, it's quite a short article, he, he made the case for why he is a better Christian than most other Christians, or, or most Christians. And in the article, you, you, you read that Ricky Chavez understands the Bible is like this rule book. And if you keep enough rules, then you make it to the grade of being a good Christian. And what he does is he accuses Christians of cherry-picking their rules, and then he carefully works his way through the Ten Commandments uh, and explains how he's kept every single one. Kind of like this, this guy here. Uh, and he explains kind of how he gets a perfect 10 out of 10 score when it comes to being a Christian, because he's kept all of these commandments. Of course, it's, it's just the whole thing's a, a funny joke, and it's kind of satirical. And really what Ricky Gervais is doing is he's just trying to show how stupid Christianity is in his article. But the problem is, is that the Christianity that he so brilliantly shows is stupid. It's not Jesus' Christianity. 
Ashabad is not the Christianity of most of the church for most of history. It's a perversion. It's a tick-boxing, do-gooding perversion of the truth. You see, to enter Jesus' kingdom, you've got to come like a little child. That doesn't mean you've got to be stupid. It doesn't mean you've got to not ask questions. It doesn't mean you've got to not think. You've got to be innocent or ridicule or manipulative or whatever else. It means you've got to come empty-handed, totally dependent. And so for those of us who aren't little children, it probably means you're going to let go of what we're holding on to first in order to come to Jesus with empty hands and open hearts. Kids are a great example of this to us. They really are. And so it's important for us to remember, those of us who are parents, how important children are to Jesus and his kingdom. Will you parents tell and will you demonstrate to your children from the very earliest age, from the very youngest age, that Jesus is for them? He is for your children. That his kingdom is for them, if only they'll take hold of it by faith. They don't have to grow up to become impressive, to become useful, to become clever or smart or rich or wealthy or successful or whatever else. No, Jesus is for them even now, little children. If only they will come to him. Will you teach them that? Will you demonstrate that to them? Will you live as if that's true? What about those of you who are on the, the, the Gate Kids team, who are on a Sunday look after and care for and teach and train our children? Listen, I want to encourage you this morning by these, by these words. I want to encourage you and help you see that the kingdom of God is valuable and it is there for the children. So your hard work and your sacrifice, the hours poured into prepping in the week, just for, say, two or three children, just so you can bring three, two or three children to Jesus, that is worth it. That is valuable. Because Jesus is with you. He will not turn away any that come to him. And his kingdom, and inheriting his kingdom is at stake for these children. Listen, that gives a great value and a great worth for what you're doing on the Gate Kids team. I want you to be encouraged by that. But also, you know, it challenges us, doesn't it? And I think it challenges how we come to Jesus. You see, the children here in in Mark 10, they come to Jesus just because he's Jesus. That's why they come to him. It's a bit like one of my girls runs up to me, and not some other man, because I'm her daddy. So if she's hurt or something, she wants to come to me. Because it's me. I'm her daddy. And so they come to Jesus because he's Jesus. And they come empty-handed. And the result, if you like, is that their hands and their lives get filled up with the inheritance of the kingdom, with the eternal treasures of heaven. But for the rich man, you see, Jesus is just another teacher. He's just another teacher who can help him get along in his project of DIY religion. He wants to do it himself. And Jesus can maybe help him, give him some advice or whatever else. See, the rich man, as he comes to Jesus, he isn't seeking Jesus, really. He isn't seeking relationship with Jesus. He isn't seeking God. No, what he really wants is eternal life. And he's going to use Jesus to get that if he can. He's completely interested in something else. 
So Jesus sees through this kind of skin-deep religion, and he sees into the heart of the man. And there in verse 21, he draws out exactly what is going on with him. This kind of searing intensity goes straight to the heart of the matter. See, this man will not give up his great wealth to receive treasure in heaven and follow Jesus. He will not let go of that. See, what this guy lacks is that he lacks nothing. He's already got it all. And his wealth is more to him than Jesus. He can't give it up for Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus with these full hands, gripping onto his money. And actually, he walks away from Jesus empty-handed and sad. Complete opposite of the children, isn't it? See, this exposes the sweet lies of prosperity theology. It says this, if you come with big enough faith to God, then you get loads of blessing, you get health, wealth, and all the rest. And God can give you all of these things, and you just got to have enough faith, and he will give them to you. And people all over our community are being encouraged to come to God on that basis and in that way, to use God to get other stuff that we really care about, that we really want. And what happens is that you actually you never get Jesus. And so, actually, without realizing it, people walk away from Jesus. Because they're just trying to use him to get something else, and so they never really come to him. They might seem very religious, be church-going or whatever else, but they don't come to Jesus. It's also, I think, a warning for you if you work hard for the kingdom. I know there's many of us here today who feel, yeah, I work hard for the kingdom. And sometimes it feels like hard work and I'm investing everything in it. And, and maybe the challenge for us is that as that happens and as we struggle with that, we might get things out of perspective. And we might start to think uh, things like, well, what really counts is my hard work and my service for the kingdom. And that starts to become kind of more important and more significant. And what seems to fall into the background is the joy and the blessing of knowing the king of the kingdom. And so we become like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. You know, the elder brother who stays at home, who works hard for his dad, who is faithful and diligent, who is always there, who is always reliable, whilst his younger brother is off living the high life. He's basically said to his dad, you're dead to me, and he's off doing what he wants. All of those years, the elder brother stays at home, laboring. But you know what? Not gladly. Not enjoying his father. Not enjoying relationship with his father. Not, not kind of, um, not, 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 not with love in his heart. But we see in the story that he is selfish, that he is bitter, that he is angry, that he is cold-hearted. And it only really comes out when the younger brother returns, doesn't it? But here's the scary thing. At the end of the story, do you know who is is the one who is in danger of walking away from the father? Not the younger son who knows how much grace he's received. It's that older brother. He's the one who is in danger of walking away from his father. As his heart has just closed up and become bitter, he's just lost that sense of love and joy and peace of knowing his father. It's become all about what he's doing, what he's bringing, what he's contributing. You see, we come to Jesus empty-handed, and we don't move on from that. I guess every day we wake up and we've got to think, yeah, I'm empty-handed again today. What do I have that you haven't given to me? 
What do I bring to the table? Nothing, but I receive from you. I receive the blessings and the life and the inheritance of the kingdom. No matter how much we serve God, no matter how much we give up for him and for his kingdom, we need to keep that in right perspective. That's why Jesus says, it is impossible for the rich to be saved. And he has this, this funny and famous image, doesn't he, of, um, of the, the, the camel and the eye of the needle. You know, this kind of, yeah, this not-to-scale picture, but, you know, a camel over two metres tall, massive big hump and all, all the rest. And the eye of a needle, literally, you know, tiny. And it's impossible. You might have heard it's some kind of parable about some gate in Jerusalem, whatever it's not. It's, it's, it's what we think it is. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous image. You see, it's, it's not that money is bad, but it is dangerous. It's not bad, but it is dangerous. Because as we hold on to riches and wealth, what happens is they hold on to us. They take hold of us. And so then it's hard for us to come to Jesus with empty hands and an open heart, ready to receive his kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is not something that we can buy or we can take hold of by ourselves. The Bible tells us that God births his kingdom in us by his spirit. God brings us to new life and he showers on us the blessings of his kingdom. You see, yes, it's impossible. What does he go on to say? Not with God. With God, the impossible is possible. Rich people can be saved. Most of us in this room should regard ourselves as rich. We can be saved because God makes it possible. But it's for those who come to him empty-handed, wholly dependent, eager and faith-filled, coming to the king. That's who inherits the kingdom. That's the people that Jesus calls us to be and calls us to come as. But the second question is this, and much more briefly, what difference does inheriting the kingdom make? Maybe you think, Yeah, by God's grace, that is me, and I have inherited the kingdom. Praise him. But what difference does that make? Well, we see here that Jesus um, says that his disciples have entered the kingdom. Actual fact, in verse 24, do you see what he calls them as he talks to them? He calls them children. He's making the link. He's saying, yeah, you are like the little children who come and have received the blessings of the kingdom. And what has it taken them to enter into it? Well, we see that actually from Peter in verse 28, where he kind of, his head has just been blown by everything Jesus said, and he speaks up. Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And they had, they had left their businesses and their friends and their home and their families. And most of these guys would go on to give up their very lives to follow Jesus. Their whole lived lives, but and actually even their deaths were given up to him. They were killed for his sake. So what does it take to enter the kingdom? Well, it takes giving up everything. Because it takes coming with an empty hands. Now, and, and, and it, it doesn't only take that as you come to him for the first time, but actually the call is kind of to a continual giving up and setting aside and a lifestyle of that kind of empty-handedness. 
Well, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to leave everything. It doesn't mean that you have to go and sell all your possessions, put them on eBay this afternoon. You have to quit your job. You have to kind of write a resignation letter to your family, disown them or, or whatever else. But what it means is that, that those things are no longer what you live for. They're no longer what you, you clasp with so tightly to, with closed hands. Everything in your life is reprioritized. Everything falls into to shape and into line. You hold it so much more loosely compared to Jesus and his kingdom. So it might look like you holding on to your home or, or your car or your possessions or, or your money with, with just so much more of an open hand. God has entrusted this to me, so I'm going to hold it lightly. I'm going to freely share. I'm going to more freely give. Just kind of, just impromptuly and, and, and freely I'm going to lend easily to others. I'm going to invite people in to just share the things that that God has given to me to bless others as I work out what it is to live for Jesus' kingdom. It might mean that you don't do everything you possibly can to maximise your income, to make every possible career move up the, the ladder that you can to increase your financial stability. It might mean that you make career moves that give you less money, but more time so that you can plough your time into serving God and his kingdom. For a couple called uh, Nathan and Catherine Burden, who, who many of us are good friends with, and, uh, and the rest of us will get to know in, in, in coming months. A regular standard couple, many of us know, just like, uh, just like many of us here. And it looked for them like leaving their families behind and moving overseas to Spain, where they knew the church is small, They knew there wouldn't be many Christians there. They knew they were going to a difficult and hard place. Going into a new culture. The whole purpose of them going was to invest in Jesus' kingdom. The mission of their lives, they wanted to count for something. They wanted to invest it. They didn't want to hold on tightly to things. They want to let go and give up. So they invest their lives in something that lasts. Yes, the sacrifices may be great. Yes, what you give up will be costly. I want us to see the way that we can do that, the way we can make those kind of lifestyle choices. This is very important. It's because this, because you share an inheritance in the kingdom. The reason we can do that, the reason we can let go and give up is this, because we share inheritance in the kingdom. We see that in in Jesus' promise uh, in verse 29. He says to his followers that they will have treasures in heaven in the age to come for those who have given up these things for Jesus and the gospel. He promises this kind of fullness of inheritance, if you like, is like stored up for you in a big bank account in the future. An investment that matures on death and pays out. He gives them something to look forward to and, and, and something to aspire to and something to take hold of, even after death. But here's the very surprising thing. We can't miss this. Even today, if you're a Christian, that inheritance is paying out now. You're living off and living in that inheritance now. Five years ago, we had... um, chance to, to buy the house that we now live in and um, some of you will know some of the stories it's a bit of a kind of a, a bit of a miracle story of God answering prayers and, and giving us the opportunity to get the house 
But even when we had the opportunity to buy it, we couldn't get it because there was no way we could afford it. And then some of you will recognize that experience. But, but we were blessed by being given some of our inheritance early. And because we were given some of our inheritance early, suddenly we could do something that we couldn't have otherwise have done and buy this house and move into it. And, and, and we're still there today. You see, if you receive some of your inheritance early, it changes how you can live. It changes the things you can do. You can do things that you otherwise couldn't do. See what Jesus says in verse 14? He says that the kingdom of God belongs, present tense belongs, to those who come to him with childlike faith. Today and now, it belongs to those who are his. And then even more radically, in some sense, he says in verse 30, he says that it is in this present age that any who have left family or fortune for him will receive a hundred times more in the here and now. See, this inheritance pays out right away as well. It's not just some kind of future thing. It is that, but we draw on it now. And so having that kingdom inheritance, drawing on it even today, means that you can live differently. It means you can take kingdom risks. It means you can do things that you otherwise couldn't do. And that is because Jesus will be no one's debtor. He will leave no one high and dry. And he promises, in this present age, kingdom returns that we can only dream of. A hundred times more what we've given up. What, what might this look like? Well, to be honest with you, I think it just looks like a thousand different things. It's as beautifully diverse and creative as only God can be. I think we see it in small things and in big things all the time. And to be honest with you, I just don't think we recognize it when we see it. We have kingdom returns and blessings all over the place. Speaking to Nathan this week and talking about the, the joy that they experience of new Christian family in Spain. The satisfaction that they will have of seeing people come uh, to be eternally saved as the kingdom grows, in part by their sacrifices they have made. That's a kingdom return. You may experience it in your career, actually advancing quicker than you could have made it um, uh, go by your own power and strength, even though you've held on to it loosely and made what looks like some crazy career moves for the sake of the kingdom. God often and sometimes chooses to bless that Actually, maybe your career will go forward in ways you hadn't expected. By the way, I'm not saying it's a deal that he does do that. You let go freely. You may know the joy of becoming a spiritual mother to others in church. You may know the joy of nurturing people in, uh, towards maturity as you care and teach and love and, and, and serve and provide for, even though you've given up the hope of biological motherhood for the sake of the kingdom and decisions you've made. You may see the joy of not seeing your house extended to be more comfortable and nicer, but seeing the kingdom of God built because you gave that money instead to a church building fund or something else that enabled the gospel to spread out and go. It can look like just so many different things, big and small. But listen, we do receive the blessings. We do receive the life of the kingdom now. I mean, Jesus is real here. We've seen it through Mark, and, and we even get it name-checked today. Yes, life in the kingdom comes with much suffering and much persecution. We ought not forget that. But even now, there is also a great inheritance. 
there are blessings from our King to be enjoyed and to be savoured. And maybe, do you know what? We don't see them, but we can help one another to see them. We can speak more freely about that. Isn't that a blessing from Jesus? Isn't that a good thing? Isn't he faithful? Isn't he kind? See, we saw it in, in, in that verse that Johnny read earlier from 2 Corinthians about who Jesus is and what he's done. He is the one who enjoyed the riches and the wealth of heaven. And yet he gave all of that up, didn't he? He set it aside so he could commit to the kingdom building project. The one who had everything. The one who really did have the world at his feet. He became poor. He lost his family at various points and in various ways. He didn't have a home. didn't have a particularly successful career. And ultimately on the cross, he gave up everything. He gave up his life. He let go of everything. Freely. All so that we may become spiritually rich. All so that we may be brought into the kingdom. All so that we may receive the inheritance that is his. Both eternal life to come, but also eternal life in the here and now. So I guess the question that hopefully we've been kind of driving at right through this morning, but I just want us to leave with and think about is whether we can let this inheritance, we can let the fullness of the kingdom that we have as children, that we can enjoy now. We can let that so shape our lives, so shape how we choose to invest our lives, what we choose to do with our money and our time and our families and our homes and our cars and our careers and everything else. We let this inheritance set us free so we live countercultural, so we live radical all our lives for this kingdom. Knowing that everything we invest in it is not lost and is not wasted, but is actually the safest and the best investment we can make. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a great king and you have a great kingdom. But your kingdom is not of this world. And so it does not look like the kingdoms of this world. But Lord, we want to acknowledge and say, by faith, your kingdom is the ultimate reality. It is the kingdom that will outlast all others. It's the kingdom which we will enjoy living in and being people of for eternity. Lord, thank you that your kingdom is a rich, a bountiful, a beautiful, and abundant one. Where life to the full is experienced. Lord, would our, would our taste, our experience of that, would our knowledge of you so change us that our lives are shaped, are invested, are poured out around that reality? And Lord, we ask and pray that you would build your kingdom here for your fame and for your glory. Amen.